Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of Hardline. Brenda Alacy with you from the Home Broadcast Center, the BBC. Brenda Broadcast Center, and I am flying solo today. My co-host, Joe Beamer, has the day off. And I hope Joe is enjoying uh, this beautiful, beautiful weather. Well, I just poured myself a second cup of coffee, and no matter how hot out it is, I still want my coffee uh, hot and steaming to get going every day. I invite you to uh, pour a coffee, a mimosa, a Bloody Mary, whatever your pleasure is, and join me. We've got uh, a power-packed show with a lot of political analysis, the latest political news, and I always welcome your calls and texts. And we've made it so easy now because it's the same number for both. 716-803-0930. So the uh, Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board is up and running, and I certainly welcome your phone calls at 803-0930 as well. Uh, On the show today, legislator uh, Ed Rath will join us. He represents District 6 in the Erie County Legislature. uh, legislature. And then later in the show, political strategist and analyst Carol Calabrese will join me to talk about... uh, both local news, regional news, and certainly national news. A lot to chew on, of course, every day in the ever-evolving world of politics. If you'd prefer to send me a tweet, my my Twitter handle is at Brenda Celeste, at Brenda Celeste. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Erie County Legislator Ed Rath. Ed, good morning. Thanks for joining me today. Good morning, Brenda. I'm happy to be here. Great to have you on board, and there's certainly a lot to discuss, Ed. In fact, uh, something that caught my eye was the, uh, the governor's uh, decision, Governor Andrew Cuomo's decision to withhold aid and incentives to municipalities, which is known as AIM. And that's funding from 12 cities across New York State, including Buffalo and Lackawanna. You and a few of your colleagues have put forth a resolution uh, about this. Can you fill us in on what AIM is all about and what prompted your, your action? Sure. Well, Brenda, this is actually a very important issue that uh, affects the cities and municipalities across New York State. And each and every year, unfortunately, the governor plays games with this funding, threatening to withhold the money or cut the reimbursements. And this year he did the exact same thing. Uh, And I sponsored a resolution in the legislature, which was unanimously passed, which called on the governor to stop playing games with this money and to restore that critical funding that goes to our cities across all of New York State. Because this money 
uh, is utilized for law enforcement, libraries, parks, and core and essential community services. And this governor is trying to cut this money at a time in which our communities need it the most. So I was proud that your county legislature passed this resolution unanimously, calling on the governor to pass this funding as soon as possible onto our cities. Ed, uh, what type of money are we talking about? And what do you think is motivating him to cut this money? Sure. We're talking about tens of millions of dollars uh, to go to our cities. And uh, at a time in which resources are extremely scarce for our cities, uh, the governor, uh, I believe, is motivated by the fact that we started off before COVID with a $6 billion budget deficit, and now we're well over $10 billion, and who knows what that number is going to reach. So he's trying to figure out ways to cut corners and to, in many ways, cut critical resources for our cities. And uh, this is an unfortunate decision on behalf of this governor, because what he should be doing is looking at the wasteful spending and the misuse of taxpayer funds, which are coming out of Albany right now. Until Albany gets its fiscal house in order, it should not be asking for other communities to try to do that before Albany does uh, that themselves. Well, it's been an ongoing issue for so long. Ed, uh, do you think that that's even possible unless Governor Cuomo is voted out? What's your view on that? Well, I'll tell you one of the things that we need to get back to in New York State is um, the representative democracy that we have uh, in New York State, which is our form of government. And that is full inclusion and participation of our state Senate and our state assembly. And right now what we have is a unilateral control of New York State by the governor. And he is basically governing by executive order. And this is may be appropriate at the very beginning of COVID, but I believe that we have emerged in many ways from the greatest threat of COVID across our communities. And as such, the governor should no longer have the executive control and we should allow the state Senate and the state assembly to get fully back to work and represent all 62 counties of New York state, not just the five boroughs of New York city, which it seems like that's where the bias is coming from right now. And it seems to me that, um, you know, you make a case about the, uh, the power that the governor is wielding. Um, I was impressed with the way he handled things initially with COVID, and I really looked forward to hearing his updates every day when it focused on COVID. But I think it has veered into so many other things now, and uh, I'm concerned about the way he is wielding this power. And one of those concerns centers around restaurants and bars reopening. Uh, they reopened in June. Uh, but there's concern about all of the restrictions that the governor has placed on these businesses, many of whom have been around for generations, and it's their livelihood. I wanted to ask your view on that as well, Ed. What is happening with bars and restaurants in your district? You represent District 6, which is primarily northern Erie County. Uh, what are you hearing from your constituents? Brenda, this is a very, very important question, and I'm glad that you asked it. Because several weeks ago, I actually sat at a roundtable discussion with restaurants from across our region, not just my 6th legislative district, but across Erie County. And they had significant questions and concerns, frustration, and most of it was rooted in the fact that there's been no transparency or inclusion in the conversation from New York State. And quite frankly, the rules keep changing. And New York State keeps on moving the goalposts and the restaurants, quite frankly, do not know what to do or how to operate their businesses. They've even gone so far in New York State from Albany to determining what is essential and uh, non-essential food. 
And I'd remind the governor, by the way, that essential food in Western New York does include chicken wings. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> so I think, exactly. We have to, I think, uh, be mindful of the challenges that the restaurants are facing right now. And one of the things that's happening in, in the restaurant community and in all the small business communities across New York State is they don't understand how they should operate their businesses. And they get one set of rules and regulations. They think they're in full compliance. Then suddenly the rules and regulations change on them time and time again. And small businesses face incredible challenges in many ways. Restaurants, uh, this is the life savings of the owners. And this is everything that they have in their lives is put into these restaurants. They're struggling right now to survive. Some of them are down 60% in their revenues and so what we did, uh, myself and members of the Minority Caucus, last week was we proposed the Business Closure Reporting Act in Erie County. And what this is, the long and short of it, is a proposal to protect restaurants and to give them some transparency and accountability uh, in this COVID crisis scenario that we are faced with right now. And restaurants feel in many ways like there's no one who was protecting them or having their back. So this Closure and Reporting Act will call on Erie County to provide within 48 hours written justification and written explanation for the closure of any businesses in Erie County. Right now it's focused on restaurants, but it also could be any other business because right now businesses don't feel as though uh, their uh, rights and really um, the issues that they may have or the challenges that they are confronted with are being protected in New York State. So this Business Closure Reporting Act successfully protects them and allows them to have a voice in this process. When you were at the roundtable, uh, did you hear from restaurant owners who had visits from uh, the health department or felt like they were being uh, watched or, uh, you know, that it was an arbitrary and kind of capricious uh, selection of people who would pop into a particular restaurant or go to a different bar uh, without any sort of rhyme or reason. Uh, did you hear from people who have been visited by the authorities? I, I did, as a matter of fact. There was numerous restaurants that were at this roundtable discussion, and what they said was that they have been visited by the Erie County Department of Health, and in many ways the scenario is guilty until proven innocent, and that's not the way that government should be looking upon restaurants or any of our small businesses across our community. These restaurants are struggling and basically giving everything they can to survive right now. And, you know, there are times in which people will uh, anonymously appear at restaurants or they might have people who are taking photographs and submitting them to Erie County. You know, this is not the way that we should be conducting a relationship between businesses and uh, our county government or, for that matter, even our state government. We have to be giving them the tools and the resources to thrive and to prosper and restaurants, in many ways, are woven within the fabric of our community. So many of them are our hometown places that we visit, that we are all trying to support. And many restaurants are being summarily closed without any explanation or any justification for those closures. So we have the back of our local restaurants and our local small businesses in what we're working on. And I'm very proud of the work that we've done. And there's much more to come. And quite frankly, Brenda, uh, our phone lines and, and our offices are always wide open to uh, address their needs and concerns and make sure that we are advocating for them throughout the end of this crisis. 
Well, I have to agree with you about uh, the restaurants and what they lend to the quality of life in this community because so many of them are local independent eateries, whether it's uh, a small little joint diner type place or a white linen tablecloth type of restaurant. And uh, I purposely try to always patronize locally owned restaurants. Uh, the chains are fine, but I really want to support local business and support my fellow residents here. Um, when you talked with um, Health Commissioner Dr. Gail Burstein at a recent legislature committee meeting, um, there was some concern, I think you called it a red flag, that she was not able to offer specifics on, one, uh, on why one local establishment was shut down, except to say that any restaurant or bar that has issued a close order had been repeatedly warned about the violations. How did that situation unfold at the committee meeting, Ed? Yeah, we had a discussion uh, with Dr. Burstein as well as a number of other people from county government, and uh, we were concerned about the fact that a number of restaurants had reached out to us and explained the fact that their restaurants had been closed and there hadn't really been a clear justification or a clear explanation to them for what they were doing wrong. And we asked Dr. Burstein and, quite frankly, other people across county government about why uh, these facilities were being closed. We weren't given an adequate justification. Uh, and to me, that's where the red flag came up, uh, is the fact that we need to be fully aware and fully reported to as to why our businesses are being closed. And we didn't get that information. So my colleagues and I huddled up and we came up with the idea of the Small Business Closure Reporting Act, which provides that protection for the businesses and also uh, offers the county government the opportunity to explain and to justify why the business is being closed. And this should not be some type of a scenario where there's any animosity or one side against the other. Let's work together. Let's find a process which we believe is this Closure Reporting Act that protects businesses, but also gives government the opportunity to explain their justification so that if there are some lessons learned, those lessons can be not repeated by other businesses or restaurants that might be facing some challenges. So I really, truly believe, Brenda, this is good government, and this is a partnership between government and businesses to do the right thing and make sure that businesses stay open as much as possible, providing the jobs and the resources that our community needs. I imagine that you feel that way about uh, gyms and fitness centers in your district and across the area, right? Does that fall under that same kind of uh, category? It, it absolutely does, and I'm really happy you brought that up. And Amy Buemi and several other business owners who are uh, gyms have been confronted with no transparency and no accountability out of state government. And what they've found is uh, no plan for them to reopen. And that's a great example in gyms, but there's many other organizations, say it's banquet facilities or catering facilities, there are or catering operations, I should say, that are struggling right now with no clear and concise explanation to how they're to run their businesses. And once again, these are life savings that people have in these operations. And without any clarity from uh, New York State and from Erie County, they're probably going to be forced into dire fiscal straits, and maybe even closure. And think of the lives that are impacted when these businesses close. You have people's jobs, you have sales tax that's generated, you have the mushrooming effect of commerce and revenue across our communities, which is being stifled by this state right now, and in many ways stifled by this county. And as such, as leaders in this government, we need to find solutions. And I feel very badly for the gyms, and I will continue to advocate for them because they need to open just like everything else does in full force as soon as possible across our communities. 
We're talking with Erie County Legislator Ed Rath, who represents District 6. And Ed, uh, cashless bail has been a, a real hot topic and something that I know you're concerned about as well. And if I understand correctly, there are only three states that have cashless bail, New Jersey, Alaska, and New York. Uh, what do you think will come of this cashless bail situation? Well, I'll tell you, I think that the cashless bail issue needs to be repealed immediately across New York State. Because what we have seen is with the elimination of bail, criminals have been released from jail and have gone back out onto the streets and they have committed crime after crime after crime. And it's not protecting the well-being and the safety of our communities at all. There have been numerous cases in New York City and across Western New York, uh, where we have seen people who have robbed banks or have committed offenses, uh, and they've been basically laughing as they've been walking out of jail, saying, "I'm just going to commit another crime, and and, and I'll see you, you know, in, in in a couple days." Well, how is that protecting our communities in a time in which we've had a lot of unrest and we've had a lot of uncertainty with public safety? We should be prioritizing uh, keeping these criminals in prison uh, where they belong. Quite honestly because it's not defending the well-being and the public safety of our residents. And another point I want to make, Brenda, and this is really, really important, that we need to prioritize right now law enforcement and the great work that they do, because in many ways law enforcement, what they do is they restore the order in our communities, they protect the rule of law, and they keep the peace. And instead of defunding law enforcement, we should be doubling down and prioritizing law enforcement, the great work they do, because quite honestly, it has been underappreciated across our community and across New York State, and law enforcement matters, and it should continue to be the highest priority for us going forward right now. You know, and I think that the uh, idea of the no-cash bail law was well-intentioned in some ways, because I think it was trying to kind of level the playing field. Some people who don't have a lot of money are unable to pay their way out of detention and remain incarcerated. Well, those who may have means can get out of jail with bail. Uh, but is that one of those theories you think that sound good, but in reality just don't play out in, in today's society? You know, I will agree with what you said uh, in part about uh, the uh, inequality uh, of the bail system. And, and we heard testimony before the county legislature on this issue. And I certainly believe that there's something to that. But let me tell you where I think uh, government can provide leadership. Government can provide leadership when it looks at a rule or a regulation or something that's on the books right now, uh, and it goes back to the drawing table and tries to fix it. Many times in government, we don't see leadership in going back and trying to correct something that has been drawn up improperly or maybe was over-regulatory or uh, may have gone too far on one end or the other of the scales. So in this case, with the cash bail issue, this should be repealed and it should be reviewed once again by Albany to try to get it right because right now there is far too much, um, what I would say, a release of people that should not be released from prison and uh, we need to correct this law that's gone too far. And that in many ways is what we're seeing out of Albany right now is government that has gone too far. If it's gone too far with regards to uh, the treatment of our nursing homes uh, during the COVID crisis, if it's gone too far with the excessive and uncertain regulation when it comes to our restaurants and bars and small businesses, if it's gone too far with regards to the release of people who should not be re released during cash bail, 
let's get government back in order and let's get it so that it is protecting the residents of our community and also not over-regulating our businesses. Ed, I'm wondering, may I hold you over for a few minutes? We have to take our break for the news, but I have a few more questions I'd like to get into. Sure, I'd be happy to. Thank you, Brenda. Okay, great. We're talking with Erie County Legislator Ed Rath, who uh, kindly has agreed to take a little more time out of his Sunday morning. Uh, Right now, we'll take a break. We'll check our news headlines and be back in just a few moments. Welcome back to Hardline on this Sunday morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Brenda Alacy. Joe Beamer has the day off. And we are talking with Erie County Legislator Ed Rath. And a little later in the show, we'll talk with political analyst Carol Calabrese. And hey, this is a two-way street. I always welcome your calls, comments, texts, 716-803-0930. And uh, Ed has uh, agreed to stay on a little bit longer. And as a matter of fact, uh, Mike from Tiktawaga would like to talk to Ed. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Um, Brenda, do you know how long the no-bail uh, program has been going on? Uh, Ed, is it was it 2014? I, yes, good morning, Mike. I can address that, and, and I appreciate you checking in with us on this very important issue. It went into effect in 2019, so it's been on the books for over a year. And uh, the county legislature here in Erie County, and I was a sponsor of it last year, Uh, supported a resolution which called for the repeal of these um, bail changes and these changes to the criminal justice system. And unfortunately, Albany didn't listen to us, but change needs to happen as soon as possible because we are still prioritizing criminals over law-abiding citizens in New York State. Sure. You know what? Um, I was a cop for 10 years before I became a teacher, so I've been following this very closely. So, Brenda, you understand that it's been since the 2019 budget, correct? Yes, but 2014 was when New Jersey and Alaska enacted no, the No, no, let's, let's just stick to New York State. So it's Yeah, I'm just saying that's where I got 2014. Yes, I understand that. Okay, when did COVID come out? Are you suggesting there's a connection there? Oh, just answer my question. Well, <laughs> COVID came, COVID out, came just- out in force uh, around uh, late 2019 uh, and early 2020. See, a, what, what is your point, Mike? Okay, I was a former policeman. COVID came out in, I mean, I'm sorry, the no bail came out in 2019 and, um, you know, high power. COVID did not come out until December or January officially. So it has nothing to do, Brenda, with COVID and letting them out early. It has nothing to do with that. Now, if you know your history, if you know your history, you know that this is a communist tactic. And it's been used throughout, the, throughout ages. Okay, it's been used in Europe. It's been used in Cuba. Okay, and I want to take it one step further. Do you see what's going on in New York City now? Violent crime in broad daylight. Violent crime in broad daylight. Okay, gentleman was released, wound up being in three drive-by shootings in one day upon his release. Witnesses being killed by, their, um, by the suspects after they get out of jail. So, Brenda, it has nothing to do with COVID. This is just another... Wrong. I'm not suggesting that it does have anything to do with COVID. It is disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting that these criminals are walking our streets. Okay? And I can't wait for the silent majority to strike back. I cannot wait. I- Mike, I appreciate your call. Let's take one more. Tony and Clarence is on the line. Good morning, Tony. Yeah, Mr. Rath, uh, glad you're on the show. I, I think your, your father was the county executive, correct? 
Uh, no, actually, Tony, that was my grandfather was the county executive. Yeah, well, I had, I'm had. i so old that I had the privilege to meet him, and I thought he was a, a terrific county executive uh, for his time. But let me ask you a question. Do you know when President Trump was first told about COVID-19? I'm not aware of uh, when he was first um, brought up to speed on COVID-19 and that, that those federal issues. Right. Well, CDC told him that in November of 2019 that the COVID was on its way to our country. And Mr. President did absolutely nothing, kept denying the fact. In fact, that last night he denied that we even have a covid uh, an emergency situation. This is all been a past body, he's been saying. Now, let me say this to you. Does the federal government owe the states money to reimburse them for the treatment and care and purchase of machines that are necessary to save lives within our county? Is the federal government responsible to pay us back? For the uh, treatment during the COVID crisis, is that what your question is, Tony? Yes, my question is, who's reimbursing the state? It's costed, you say they had a $6 billion deficit. Probably have at least a $14 billion deficit now. Who's going to pick, where's this money going to come from? Well, you know, to that point, uh, I completely agree with you, Tony, in the sense that New York State has been fiscally mismanaged for decades. And even before COVID, we had a $6 billion deficit in New York State. And in many ways, this governor and his downstate politician colleagues have driven us off of the fiscal cliff in New York State. Now the shortfall might be $14 billion. And to that point, if the governor is going to try to cut money to come to our municipalities, if he's going to continue to expand, expand our unfunded mandates and make it more and more difficult for us in Erie County and all of our municipalities to make ends meet without cleaning up his own fiscal house, shame on this governor and shame on his downstate politician friends because we're having a hard enough time as it is in Erie County. We don't need New York State making it worse. Uh, Tony, thanks for the call. I appreciate the, the input. And Ed, one more question about uh, the bail situation, which came into our Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board. Uh, somebody asks that I ask you about an example of a bank robber suspect being released back on the streets via the cashless bail law. Do you know any specifics like that? I do. Uh, I don't have the specific number of times in which this individual was released, but I'll just call it countless times that a bank robber was released in New York City and time and time again, he would continue to rob banks. And that was what I was referencing earlier, is that criminals are mocking our system right now when it comes to the release uh, that they receive from this cashless bail system. They are repeat offenders. They are continuing to put our communities at risk, the public safety at risk. So what we need to do with this elimination of cash bail is immediately repeal this failed law from Albany, go back to the drawing board and get it right. Because again, to me, that's leadership in government is finding ways to find solutions when maybe some of your regulations or laws are going down the wrong path. We cannot allow criminals back out onto the streets to really in many ways put our public safety at risk because right now law enforcement has one arm tied behind its back and if we're continuing to release these criminals back onto the street 
both arms are tied behind their back and they can't protect us. And we need to continue to prioritize law enforcement because that's mission critical in New York State right now. We have one more call for you, Ed. It's Frank uh, in the Cataract City. We'll go to Niagara Falls next. Good morning, Frank. You know, no cashless bail or justice reform for poor minority people. But, uh, you know, I seem to remember in 2000, 2007 and 2008, a bunch of Wall Street fraud artists and bankers that almost brought down the world economy. And they didn't even get arrested. That's why they didn't need bail. What about those bank robbers? Well, Frank, to your question, uh, there is, I believe, many areas in which we need to look at uh, reforming and cleaning up our systems. And certainly the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 pushed us into a recession. And there were reforms that came out of Washington uh, to address that. And now as we are coming out of COVID-19, what we need to do is have a clear understanding of where our government got it wrong. And right now, in many ways, it is a single party control out of Albany that is misrepresenting and not even representing at all many of us in upstate. And we need to get back to a two party system with checks and balances and government finding solutions for all the residents of New York State. Yeah, well, you know what? Republicans seem to always care about the top one percent. And, you know, they gave them trillions in the first stimulus, but the rest of us got crumbed. So you guys better come to your senses before we have another French Revolution. You understand? I understand what you're saying, Frank, and I believe that government that operates best is one that is functioning and actually doing its job. And right now we have a governor who is leading our state by executive order, and we need to get Albany back to work. Our senators and our assemblymen who represent every one of us should be back in the state house doing their work. They've had some limited inclusion. They need full inclusion, and these executive orders need to go away because right now I don't think they're properly representing all of us in New York State. Ed, if you would, I'll take one more call, and this is about COVID. Um, and it seems like we've certainly struck a chord with our listeners, and we appreciate the calls at 803-0930. A lot of passionate feelings about uh, bail reform and also about the, the life of uh, Western New York in the COVID era. Kay from Tonawanda would like to weigh in. Good morning, Kay. Hi, thank you. There's got to be hundreds of bowling alleys all over New York, and nobody's mentioning them. Thank you. Well, actually, Kay, Adam, I just want to jump in ahead of you here. I know that we interviewed Donna Perna at Transit Plains recently and also affected uh, right by COVID. Pardon me? Yeah, sorry, Brenda, I think we may have been talking at the same time. I was just addressing Kay's question, and it has to do with bowling alleys and gyms and catering companies and banquet facilities. So many of them right now don't have any guidance. They don't have an opportunity to open. They don't have an opportunity to really run their businesses the way they did in the past. So we should be in every single way trying to find a pathway for those small businesses to open as soon as possible so we can get some of our quality life back in New York State while also being mindful of the threat that COVID, uh, that's still amongst us at a much smaller degree. Absolutely. And I do want to point out, Kay, that we had uh, the gentleman who owns Malwitz Bowling Alley on, as well as Donna Perna, who... Uh, is the general manager at Transit Lanes. And they have a restaurant in there, a very good restaurant called Kegler's. And that's been kind of a double whammy for them because not only did they have to shut down the restaurant, but also the, the bowling alley as well. So countless businesses uh, affected by this. And Ed Rath, I really appreciate you staying on the line. Uh, great insights. And we certainly, I think, uh, talked about a lot of topics that affect people 
deeply and profoundly in this community. Thank you so much for coming on with me this morning. Well, thank you very much, Brenda. I appreciate being here. And if there's one last message to everyone, it's the fact that we need to focus on making New York State more affordable. We need to keep our communities safe, and we need to restore trust out of Albany. Once we do that, we're going to be on the pathway of getting our state back on track. So it's an honor to be here, and I really appreciate the opportunity, Brenda. Thank you so much, Ed. Stay safe and well, and I hope your family is doing well uh, during this COVID time. Thank you. All righty. Thanks to Ed Rath, uh, District 6, Erie County Legislator. And uh, we're going to talk with Carol Calabrese. There's certainly plenty of things to discuss. Uh, we welcome your input, as always. And Carol will join us in just a few minutes, and he'll stay with us right to the top of the hour. We want to talk about what's happening in national politics, President Trump's uh, press briefings of late, what's been happening with the stimulus package, so many other topics to get into here on WBEN. 803-0930 is the number to call. And if you'd like to send a text, our Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board is up and running, and I can actually see it from uh, my home center here. So uh, if you feel more comfortable texting, that number is 716-803-0930. And it's a pleasure to welcome one of my favorite political analysts, Carol Calabrese. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Brenda. Good to be on your show again. Always a pleasure to have you on. And it seemed like we struck a nerve, uh, Carol, talking with Ed Rath about cashless bail. Is that something you hear about in your, uh, in your time when you are analyzing political campaigns, looking at current events? Uh, how much of a hot button do you think that is? Oh, at least upstate in you know, western New York, it, it's a very hot, hot button. It was when it was debated and passed, and it still is. And every time there's an example of, of somebody getting let out on cashless bail and then rearrested, uh, I think it just it heats up that button even more, and I think it's going to continue. But uh, I have to be honest with you, in taking the temperature of the leadership in Albany, especially in the Assembly, um, I, I don't see any move to change that. Like, may, there may be a, a situation that has yet to occur that so inflames everyone across the state uh, that they're forced to take a, another look at it. But uh, until that happens, uh, we're kind of a pocket of opposition uh, up here in, uh, in upstate New York and western New York. Well, in a sense, Carol, it's a microcosm of uh, our government, don't you think, where western New York almost appears to be an afterthought many times to what's happening downstate in the five boroughs? The state has been, is, and for the foreseeable future will continue to be dominated by New York City. I, I very fond of a very simple statistic. For every three residents of upstate New York, there are five residents in New York City and its boroughs. And as long as that ratio continues, they dominate the legislature. Uh, There's I, no question about that. And, uh, you know, even during the COVID crisis, it, it seemed to me that uh, people were making that point, that there has to be a strong uh, Democrat, the Senate went Democrat uh, two years ago. If the Democrats win and continue to hold that majority, they will control the entire reapportionment process, uh, the governor, the assembly, and the Senate, and they probably will be successful in reapportioning Republicans down to about 20 or uh, you know, 21, 22 seats out of the 63-seat uh, body, and that will last for the next decade. So that's reality. That's what we have to live with, and we're, going to, I think, going to be living with well, and that's why it's all the more important to have uh, debate and questions and conversations about what's happening. 
so people understand the challenges of living in this state and perhaps will we'll, uh, transform some of the policies of this state, including the, the bar, restaurant, gyms, all of those closures that seem to have no end in sight, Carol. You know, I just wondered, in, on the newscast, they said that the infection rate in New York State is now under 1%. At what point do we say, okay, we can start returning to normal, more normal, uh, with precautions, normal with precautions? Uh, I, I see no reason why movie theaters couldn't open up. How many times have you been in a movie theater where there's 30, 35 people in the whole theater? Uh, unless you're going to the opening of a, you know, of a mega film like a Star Wars or something like that. Most of the time I go to a theater... There's 30, 35 people. There's no no issue about maintaining social distance. You could do that with masks. Um, I'm wondering about ball games. I mean, there's no reason you couldn't put 5,000 people in the ball, at Salem Park and, and watch a ball game and maintain social distancing. Um, again, at what point do we say we can start to return to normal with, with common sense precautions so it doesn't flame up again? I don't know. Nobody has given a number, but we now are under 1% infection rate. Do we have to get to zero? I mean, is that the number? I'd like to know. And then what happens if it goes up a little? I mean, that's the thing. There's no clear definition here. And it's like the rules are being made as we go along. And I don't envy the people in power because this is a very difficult situation. It's unpredictable. We've never been in these types of unprecedented times. So I don't think it's an easy task, but we have to have some kind of guideline about what to do and in a reasonable way that... You know, you talk about in the law, what would a reasonable person do? The reasonable expectation. That's what I'm trying to figure out. We'll get into that and so much more in the next hour. Just the first hour has flown by. I welcome your calls and comments. Carol Calabrese will be with us right until high noon. It's Hardline. I'm Brenda Alacy on WBEN. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.